The following is a sermon podcast from White Ridge Baptist Church. I want to begin with a story. And I have not ever shared this story into a microphone. And the main reason that I have not shared this story into a microphone before is that it's embarrassing. Uh, this story kind of paints me out to be a bit of a moron. Uh, but it's a funny story. It wasn't funny on the day that it happened, but it's funny now, and that's often how funny stories go. So go back about five years or so. We're still in the old building at 201 Skirfield, and it's a Saturday morning. And uh, I'm usually at church on Saturdays getting ready for Sunday, and part of what getting ready for that Sunday was uh, was getting ready for a baptism. Uh, that next day, Marcy Woolman was getting baptized, and so as per usual, I was uh, filling up the baptismal tank and getting things ready. So in the morning, I turn the taps on, and, uh, and it takes, in that, in that building, in the baptismal tank, it took about 45 minutes for the tank to be, to be filled. So I would always turn the taps on, and I'd go and do some work and get some things done, getting ready for the next day. So I was doing all of that, and some people came by, started having a conversation. That often happens at church, and I uh, got involved in some things, and and uh, some time passed, and actually quite a lot of time passed, and lots and lots of time passed, and then all of a sudden, the baptismal tank, and I thought about the baptismal tank, and I, and I realized right that second that I couldn't hear the taps anymore, and so I ran into the sanctuary, and I ran up the aisle, and I ran to the baptismal tank, and the water was way past the taps, and the water was filled to the brim, the very, very brim, and not because that's where the water had stopped, but that's in the back of the tank, that's where the liner stops. So the water is actually going behind the baptismal tank now. And so my first instinct, well, first of all, I turned off the taps, and my next instinct was to get to the drain. Now, the problem with the drain at the baptismal tank at 201 Skirfield is we went through a bit of a phase where, where the, the turnoff valve downstairs didn't work, and we also, in that same phase, we had for a while kind of jury-rigged a, a, a connecting cable so that you could pull the, the stopper out of the bottom of the tank, but that had broken. So, so what, what you might not know is after every baptism, for a little while there, somebody had to go into the tank. I used to bring my bathing suit to church on, on Monday. Somebody had to go into the tank and get down to the, get down to the drain to take the stopper out. So anyways, my, so my instinct is to get to the drain. So I... I get into the baptismal tank. Now, here's the thing. There's, there's about 175 pounds of me, and it turns out that if you put 175 pounds of anything into a tank that, of water that's already filled to the brim, not all the water stays in the tank. I passed physics in high school, but not by much. <laughs> so now we have a waterfall on the stage at 201 Skirfield, and there's water everywhere. And, and so now the next thing is starting with buckets and trying to get water out of the tank. And I think it was right about then that someone came to tell me that it was raining in the basement. <laughs> and I went down to the basement, and the, and the ceiling tiles had broken, and there was water every place. And so, as you can imagine, the next few minutes were just a frenzy of buckets and mops and, uh, and, and, and wet vacs and trying to get stuff under control. And once things were a little bit stable, I knew I had a phone call to make. At that time, Elle Donald was, was the chair of facilities. And, uh, and I knew that I needed to call Elle and basically told him that I, I broke the church. So <laughs> I called Elle, 
And the very first thing I said, I remember exactly, I said, Al, I just did the dumbest thing I've ever done in my whole life. Which probably isn't true, but that's what I said. And Al Donald just laughed at me, with me, and he said, you know what? Sometimes we all do stuff. And that was kindness. Today we're talking about kindness. As you know, we've been going through the fruit of the Spirit during the course of this summer, and this is fruit of the Spirit number five on the list from Galatians chapter five. And kindness, I think, is possibly the fruit that is most misunderstood. Uh, first of all, I think it's because we've relegated it to be no more than just being nice, no more than just saying have a nice day to the person who gives you coffee at Tim Hortons. Uh, it's, it's something that we've made very small, and I think also that we typically tend to consider it as much less important than it is, certainly less important than the heavy hitters like love and joy and peace. Uh, in fact, I don't know about you, if you memorize lists kind of like the same way I memorize lists, if you're about just as good at that as I am, maybe when you recite the fruit of the Spirit, you're kind of like what I've typically been. It's, it's love, joy, peace, patience, self-control, right? There's a few there that we kind of sometimes miss. And I think maybe it's because we consider them to be smaller fruit, uh, but, that, but nothing could be further from the truth. Than that. And this morning, among other things, what I want to try to emphasize to you is how vastly, vastly important kindness is, both from God to us and from us to one another. But first, let me emphasize this, and we've talked about this a few times in a few different ways. The fruit of the Spirit is the Spirit's fruit. It's not our fruit. He is God, and He is within every Christian. And he is growing these fruits. We actually have, because of the Spirit of God, we have the characteristics of God that he is growing that we can demonstrate. And they're his. And it's by these fruit in our lives that people can see that we are his. Last week, my son Josh and I went for a walk. We live about four blocks from Tim Hortons, and we tend to go down there a bunch. And we were walking down the street. I've always heard from my wife, Linnell, that, that Josh and I walk the same. And we were walking down Corden and uh, walked past a storefront with uh, kind of the long windows. I looked over and it was eerie. We walk exactly the same. I, it's kind of, kind of our gait and it's kind of the way that we, we move our arms. Uh, we walk exactly the same. And why not? Because half of Josh's DNA comes from me. He's my kid. And it makes sense that he might look kind of like me and walk kind of like me because he's mine. And that's how it is with the fruit of the Spirit. These attributes, they'll grow in us so that we can reflect God. My kids have my DNA in them. I have God's Spirit in me. And therefore, I reflect Him more as that Spirit does His work. And I say all of this in order to emphasize that we cannot manufacture this fruit. God is the one growing it, but we can make choices about how to express it. And so when Scripture talks about choosing, and we're going to be talking today about what Scripture tells us to do in order to be kind. It's not because we're manufacturing kindness. When Scripture talks about choosing to act more lovingly or joyfully or peacefully or patiently or kindly, we have the ability to make those kinds of choices only because God has given us something of himself and this fruit of the Spirit. I liked what Girish said this morning, because Jesus is our friend, he gives us the power to be kind, and that's exactly, exactly right. So let's talk about 
kindness specifically. First of all, the actual Greek word that is translated as kindness in the fruit of the Spirit passage is the word krestotes. It sounds Spanish, but it is not. It is Greek. I really like Spanish a lot. Krestotes. Say it like that. And the word krestotes has a few layers of meaning. One layer actually sort of is to be a nice person. That's, there is something of that in Scripture. Something kind of like gentle or, or, or easygoing. And in fact, when Jesus, when Jesus said, uh, Come unto me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. The word easy that we have in our Bible is translated from the Greek word krestote. So the idea that it's a yoke that, that doesn't chafe. So in, in that sense, Christotes, or kindness, in Scripture, is, a, is a, heart, a heart attitude. But it's much more than that. It is an attitude that leads to action. That is very clear in, in the ways that kindness is used in Scripture. It's an attitude that leads to action. Action in the form of either word or deed. And most uh, specifically, it's an action that is motivated to help someone else to benefit. It's an action that is motivated to help someone else to benefit, whether or not they deserve it. It also includes a willingness on our part to give up something in order to see that person benefit. So Christotes is, is, is a gentle heart, but it's an action that is, is, or it's a heart that is motivated to action to benefit somebody else. So in Scripture, it is out of a heart of kindness that one shows love to someone, to someone else, or out of a heart of kindness that one shows grace to someone else, or out of a heart of kindness that one shows mercy to someone else. Back when I was in Bible college, I, I met two guys uh, who came from the same small town, in, uh, of the town of Lanigan in Saskatchewan. And these guys had been friends for, for most of their life, and now they are two of my best friends still. Uh, their names are Randy and Wes. And now back when they were in high school age, uh, there was a large youth event uh, in Banff, Alberta, and it was called Banff 89. I actually attended that myself. I didn't know them then, but that's, I, I had been there in high school as well. And their church youth group was going to Banff 89, but there weren't enough seats or there weren't enough spaces for everyone to go. And I don't know if that's because there wasn't enough uh, spaces on the bus or there wasn't enough room in the budget or whatever it was, they couldn't take everybody on this, on this youth trip to this youth retreat, Banff 89. So my friend Randy who at that time was a believer in Christ, decided to not go so that his friend Wes, who was not a believer in Christ, could go. And so Wes went to Banff 89, and Wes became a Christian, and then Wes became a pastor. And that is kindness. Randy gave something up. And I have no doubt that he was motivated by the potential benefit that that would be to Wes. And that is a really great example of Christotes. I spent a lot of time this week looking at a lot of different scriptures where that word was used and where it was specifically translated as kindness. And not surprisingly, some of them referred to God's kindness towards us, and some of them referred to our kindness toward others. In Titus chapter 3, we, we read, At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness, the Christotes, and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things that we had done, 
but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. That's Titus chapter 3. So you see, it is Jesus who is giving up so very much in order to benefit us with salvation. Even though we were opposed to him, even though we were disobedient to him, even though we most certainly did not deserve it. And he extended this to us out of his kindness. Another thing about God's kindness is that sometimes the beneficial places that it leads us to can be difficult places to go. Romans 2 verse 4 tells us that it is God's kindness that leads to our repentance. Sometimes our own good, our own growth in God depends upon us becoming broken so that we will turn to God in our brokenness. And that's because of God's kindness that he allows us, because kindness leads to repentance, which leads to growth in Christ, which leads to our joy. There's a song that we sing here sometimes, actually we're going to sing it yet today, uh, that goes, he lowers us to raise us so that we can sing his praises. Whatever is his way, all is well. When God lowers us to benefit us, that comes out of his kindness. So now that I think we share an understanding of what biblical kindness means, I'd like to take the next few minutes to focus on some application. And by, in doing that, I want to take a closer look at one passage in particular, and that's uh, from Ephesians chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. The verses that we're going to be looking at specifically are Ephesians chapter 4, verses 29 to uh, 5, verse 2. But for right now, I'm, I'm going to start reading from from verse 25 already. And so if you're able, please stand as, uh, as we read this passage together. Ephesians 4, starting with verse 25. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind, Christotes, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. May God bless the reading of his word. You can have a seat. Now these words were written by the Apostle Paul. He was writing to the church in Ephesus. And right, right before these verses, starting from the beginning of chapter 4 and even, even before that, Paul has been talking about spiritual gifts. Not the fruit of the Spirit, which we all have if we are in Christ, but, but individual spiritual gifts that people have that God has given them specifically. And he's been talking about encouraging the church, everyone in the church, to use those gifts to build one, an one another up. And the reason, as we would see if we were looking further back in the beginning of Ephesians chapter 4, the reason that he is saying, use your gifts to build one another up, 
is so that together we can grow in maturity in Christ. That's, that's the goal. And so now he's been writing about how to live life together in such a way also so as to build up one another in Christ. And so the verses that I just read are about that. He's saying, if you do this, this is how you can live so that together you can grow in Jesus Christ. And he kind of goes into this sort of seesaw kind of uh, discourse in order to describe what kind of personal changes need to be made in order to be able to interact with one another in a helpful way. So on one side of the seesaw is always something that needs to be let go of. And then the other side of the seesaw is always something that is to replace the thing that he is saying to let go of. So he says, put off falsehood and replace it by speaking truthfully. He says, if you're stealing, stop stealing and replace it instead with useful work so that you'll be able to bless others who are in need. And then on this side, he says, do not let unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but instead replace it only with what is helpful in building others up. And then I'm, just, I'm not going to go too deep into this, but there's that little verse about not grieving the Holy Spirit. This verse, more than, more than, well, maybe this is the verse for me at least, that, the, that most drives home, that the Holy Spirit is a person. Uh, back when I did my ordination, uh, I had to write various papers and documents as part of the ordination process, and, and I, made a, I made a little slip. It was completely not on purpose, uh, but in, in, in one sentence that I wrote, I, I, I referred to the Holy Spirit with the pronoun it, and, uh, and, and that, was, that was brought up in the, in the, 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 the panel that I was sitting with, and, and, and rightly so, because nothing is further than, than from the truth. The Holy Spirit, he is a person. He is a person like Jesus is a person. And because he is a person, he can be grieved. He can be hurt. And so when we choose not to do uh, the very things that, that he is he is transforming us to, the very things that the Holy Spirit in us wants to do in our lives and is giving us the power to do in our lives in order to reflect Jesus Christ. When we choose not to do those things, that genuinely grieves him. We're doing the very opposite thing that he is doing. So, enough about that. Now we get to these last few verses. Now in these verses, there is a lot on this side of the seesaw. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. All of that is on this side of the seesaw. And over on this side of the seesaw, we're to replace all of those things with kindness and compassion. Now, the Greek word here that is sometimes translated as tenderhearted in some of your, your versions that you have in front of you, also is sometimes translated as kind-hearted. Uh, these two words are very, very closely related to each other. And so that we can see that, that on this side of the seesaw, instead of all these things, is kindness. And out of kindness, as we see in this verse, is the resulting action of forgiving others just as Christ has forgiven us. So earlier I was saying how in biblical kindness, it involves being willing to give something up in order to benefit others. And I'd like to try something with this passage. I'd like to take a minute to take a look at some of the things on this side of the seesaw 
the things that are to be replaced with kindness, and consider what do we have to give up in order to let go of those things. By the way, some, some uh, uh, translations of Scripture, instead of, saying, instead of saying, get rid of all bitterness, get rid of all rage and anger, um, uses different language. Sometimes it's, traded, it's translated as, uh, let all bitterness be taken from you. So this is, this is the, the Holy Spirit wants to do this work, and, uh, and, and this is something that we can participate in. So let's take a look at each one of these things. Paul says, get rid of all bitterness. We all know what it's like to harbor feelings of bitterness against someone. These feelings of being hurt or of having been hurt that eat away at us from the inside, especially as we stew about how somebody has behaved. And perhaps there's somebody in your life right now that has hurt you and you're stewing about it and it's, it's, it's something that is turning into resentment. That's, that's bitterness. So if we were to get rid of that, if you picture that relationship, if you were to get rid of that or to turn that over to God, what, what do you stand to lose? Perhaps we have to let go of our need to be right. Perhaps we have to let go of a bit of pride. Maybe we have to let go of a grudge that kind of feels comfortable. We've been hanging on to it. Those are the kinds of things that we we have to sacrifice, we have to let go of in order to let bitterness go. But what do we gain? We gain what's on this side of the seesaw. We gain to be able to grow in how we reflect God's kindness. And instead of responding and having all the pressure of responding to someone in defensiveness or retaliation, we can respond with words of life. Some of you may have heard of, of a lady named uh, Rosaria Butterfield. She's a Christian writer in the United States, and in recent years she published a book about her journey from being a committed atheist to being a committed Christian. At the time, she was living a, a lesbian lifestyle, and she, she viewed Christians as being, in general, very poor thinking, judgmental, and scornful. And so in the late 90s, she published a stinging critique of a Christian evangelical organization in her local newspaper. And the public responded with tons of mail. So this is still in the 90s, so she was getting paper, actual paper mail. And, uh, and so she got a lot of mail. And so what she did is that she, she, took, she took two boxes, and she put one box in this corner of her desk and one box in this corner of her desk. And in this box, she put all of the stuff that she was getting that was kind of like fan mail, people who were, who, were, who were supporting her position. And then in this box, she was putting what she believed to be hate mail, people who were condemning her, who were using language of, of, of shame. And then she got another letter from a local pastor. In his letter, he asked some probing questions, but, but in, a, in a way that had a warmth and civility that surprised her. And that letter sat in the middle of her desk for a week, because she didn't have a box to put it in. She didn't know where it, where it belonged. And she said that that was the kindest letter of opposition that she had ever received. He didn't agree with her, and I'm sure in many ways, many ways, what he believed was 
the opposite of what she believed. But his tone demonstrated that he wasn't against her. And so eventually, Rosaria Butterfield contacted the pastor, and she became friends with him and his wife. And it was partly through her friendship that she came to know Jesus. And I love, I love her words when she says, they talked with me in a way that didn't make me feel erased. As followers of Christ, we are never in the business of making people feel small. We are never in the business of making people feel erased. Belittling, belittling people, treating non-believers with sarcasm or put-downs, that does nothing for the kingdom of God. Absolutely, we're called to tell the truth. And sometimes, the truth will be hard for, for, for people to hear, and sometimes, the truth will make people feel bad. But there is a huge difference between, some, between saying something that will cause someone to feel hurt or feel bad than saying something with the intention of making somebody feel small or belittled. That's just never a good play. So in that instance, in the case of Rosaria Butterfield, a letter that could have reflected the bitterness of feeling misunderstood was instead kind. And someone came to know Jesus because of that. What about rage and anger and brawling? We should note here, and, 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 and we read from verse 25, so we read before these verses, we should note here that this is the second time that anger is mentioned in this passage. The first time it's not mentioned as something that we shouldn't do. He's saying, when you're angry, don't sin in your anger. If you're angry, resolve those things before you go to bed. And there's a translation that says, be angry, but don't sin in your anger. We're not, we're not being told not to be angry. But here, he is saying, get rid of all anger. And it is actually the same Greek word for, both, for, both, for anger in both of those verses. But it has to be true that these are two different kinds of anger. The first being a righteous anger, and this being a selfish anger. So what do we lose? What do we have to sacrifice if we put away selfish anger and rage in order to replace them with kindness? You know, so often anger is about controlling. It's kind of about power. It's about controlling a situation or trying to get people to do what you need them to do so that either you'll have your way or that you won't be hurt. It's oftentimes anger is defensive. And I think to give these, th these things up requires us to give up a sense of power or control over our circumstances. And when we do give these up, we're going to need to trust God to keep us intact rather than trust in our own defensiveness to keep us safe. And that is a difficult, vulnerable thing. But it frees us up to give more of ourselves rather than defend ourselves. You can't do, th you can't do this at the same time as doing this. So it frees us up to give up to give of ourselves rather than defend, and it frees us up to forgive, just as Christ, as in Christ, God forgave us. And then slander. Slander is this trap that each of us sometimes falls into. It's this thing of talking behind someone else's back. It's this thing called triangulation, when I've got a problem with you, but I'm talking about that with you. 
And if we stop doing that and instead replace it with kindness, that requires us to give up our self-righteousness. It requires us to stop looking to other people to be on our side and instead go to the person that we've had a problem with in the first place. And then finally, we come to the word malice. Malice is a desire or intent to see someone else hurt or put down. Meanwhile, kindness is, is the opposite. If malice is an, an intent to see somebody else hurt or put down, kindness is motivated by a desire for someone else's benefit, like we said. Malice and anger are completely at odds with one another, and they cannot coexist. We, we must give up the one in order to have the other. We have to, just like Paul says, what's on this side of the seesaw, if that's malice, we have to give up malice in order to have what's on this side of the seesaw, and that's kindness. Not that kindness sometimes doesn't hurt. Sometimes, when we're being kind, we, we have to be harsh. I remember when Pastor Elf first started as our interim pastor, and in an early meeting that I was a part of, I watched him say something that would have been very hard to hear for some of the listeners in that room. And in the midst of it, he paused, and he said, I'm being kind, because he was. He was speaking words that are challenging, but he had no intention of making anybody feel small. There was no hint of bitterness. There was no hint of malice. I have no doubt that his motivation in saying this at all was for people to draw closer to the Lord. And that's, that's Christotes. That's kindness. Psalm 141, verse 5 says, Let a righteous man strike me. That is a kindness. Let him rebuke me. That is oil on my head. Back then, that was a good thing, by the way. Really, it's all about motive. If we are considering chastising or reprimanding someone for something they have done, if there's somebody in your life right now that you are, you've been hurt by and you're considering a response, we have to prayerfully search our hearts first and see if there's any malice there. Before you press send on any email like that or pick up the phone and have that conversation or whatever it is, we need to check and see, is there any desire that I have in my heart to kind of stick it to that person just a little bit? Is there any desire that I have to make them feel just a little bit small? And if, and if that's there, don't press send. You probably, probably you should press delete. Because if that's there, we're not ready to speak to that person kindly. But if our words are challenging, but our genuine motive is to build someone up for the sake of Christ, that's, that's kindness. And then this passage is completed by the first two verses of the next chapter, where Paul says, Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And in the spirit of these words, I'd like to conclude just now by reading uh, some very similar words from Philippians chapter 2. Uh, we saw Philippians 2 verse 4 in, in the video that, uh, that Girish made, and uh, this is Philippians chapter 2, 
where we have the example of Christ. It, this passage doesn't use the word kindness uh, specifically, but we have the example of Christ uh, in, in, in how to treat one another with the kind of kindness that we've been talking about this morning. And so while I'm reading this, uh, Pastor Kevin is going gonna, is gonna to come up and, and we'll uh, move into a time of communion after this. Therefore, if, any, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Just realizing how so many of us have heard Pastor Bell come up after the sermon and talk about and conclude and give that personal connection. When you're thinking about a, a sermon about kindness, for a pastor that may be a little tough because that's not maybe a topic that you talk about too much. Kindness. But when you ultimately understand the kindness that Jesus showed, the kindness that God the Father showed for us, there's so, there, there have been so many things. There is so many things that could have held him back from the grace and kindness that he bestowed on us. I think of, I, I have to think of a chapter in the Bible and just what Kevin read there from Philippians as well, but I think of Isaiah chapter 53 where it talks about the suffering servant that's going to come and really briefly adding to what Kevin just read. Yet it was our weakness he carried it was our sorrows that weighed him down. But he was wounded and crushed for our sins. He was beaten that we might have peace. He was whipped and we were healed. All of us have strayed away like sheep. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the guilt and sins of us all. This is why we do communion every month. It's a remembrance of what he's done. When my my child, there's he he comes or she comes and there's a bit of blood on her finger. We think about why is it there? Why did it happen? What happened? Let's learn from it. Let's not do that again because it, it shows pain, but it also shows life, right? When blood is shed, it shows life. And in this instance, Jesus' blood was shed for us so that we have victory in the kindness and the work that he did. It was all him. So if you don't understand, if maybe this is the first time you've seen a communion plate before, and what this is all about, this is for us Christians to remember what was done for us, what he took on 
And at the end of chapter 53, this is God talking about this suffering servant that we now know as Jesus, God the Son. I will give him the honors of one who is mighty and great because he exposed himself to death. He was counted among those who were sinners. He bore the sins of many and interceded for sinners. Sin is real, and Jesus never knew sin. He never knew sin. We were born into sin. We were born separated from God. He was never that. And there was a moment on earth when he realized what that was like. He was separated from the Father. That is kindness. I would, you know, for us, that's a word. For me, it's, I wish there was a stronger word, but that was kindness. We did not deserve that. But he did that for us. He bore our sins on a cross so we could be saved and have communion with God the Father. We invite the Christians here to be, to be a part of this because it is a relationship. If you don't have that relationship, maybe this will be your first time having communion because that's a connection, that's a relationship with God. But we'll take some time to do that right now. Thank you.